word. Anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 should be quite familiar to us, the Lord's Prayer. We just sort of sang it, Gary, sort of. (laughs) But anyway, uh, stand with me out of honor to God and his word as I read Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Jesus speaking says, After this manner, therefore pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thank you. You may be seated. Very familiar passage again, the Lord's Prayer. It's going to take us three weeks to get through the thing, so we're just looking at this first passage, this first verse, the first phrase today. But you know, sometimes children are a lot of fun, especially around church, and they misunderstand or misinterpret things. And these are actual things that children thought uh, when they were being taught the Lord's Prayer, they thought they were hearing. Like this one, our Father which does art in heaven. So, you know, in the child's mind, they thought he was, you know, painting stuff. Or how about this one? Our Father which art in heaven, how'd you know my name? Or this one, Our Father which art in heaven, Howard be thy name. You know, kids, they don't always hear it right, they're not sure. There was a small plane that was going down and there was one more passenger than parachutes on board. And so the captain asked, does anybody know the Lord's Prayer? A young man raised his hand, he said he knew it well. The captain said, good, we're short one parachute, you pray while we jump. Let's look this morning at the Lord's Prayer, part one, beginning with God's position. God's position. He is Father. Notice he says, pray like this, our Father. And so God is Father. Now, he's Father of all people by virtue of creation. God has created every single person that's ever existed, so he's Father of all by virtue of creation. But God is not just Father, Jesus says here. Notice what he says, he is our Father. Not just Father, but our Father. While God is Father of all people by virtue of creation, God is Father of His people by His special acts of election and adoption. Now, last week, if you were here, you know I talked about adoption. We have two older children. Uh, You rarely see them because they don't live around here. They are both adopted. And so I was talking a lot about adoption last week. What I didn't tell you, and maybe I did, but that at a previous church where we served, uh, when we found out that we were going to be having a biological child, Karis, that most of you do know, because uh, she goes to church here, somebody from that church came up to our older daughter and said, you know, your parents love you, but they're really going to love uh, Karis when she's born. Now, that is so out of bounds. That is so rude and inconsiderate and ridiculous. I better stop right there. Very angry. We never knew who said it. But they couldn't have been more wrong. But my daughter was obviously very hurt, my older daughter Jessica. She was very hurt that somebody would say that to her. So you know what I did? I took her to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. I said, you know what, Jessica? The same way we got you is how God gets us. And look what Paul writes here in Ephesians 1, 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And so God is father of all people by virtue of creation, but he is father of his own people, of us, by his special acts of election and adoption. The world can call him father. We can call him our father. Our father. Some of you maybe know if you get my daily calls, you know that last week I was in the Mormon temple, and so were the Willsies, back on Tuesday, I think, of last week. And I noticed something about the Mormons. They talk about the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. They use the same terminology we do. But when it comes to God the Father, they call Him Heavenly Father. Not our Heavenly Father or my Heavenly Father, just Heavenly Father. There's no personal relationship there. 
It's just he is this figurehead, this very important figurehead to them, but he's not personal. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is letting us know that God is a personal God and He has feelings and He has emotions. God is our Father. That means we are His children. And Paul points that out in Romans 8.15. He says, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. There it is again, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I'm sure you know this, that word Abba there in addition to being one of my favorite singing groups from the 70s, uh, Abba actually is a very friendly term, a very intimate term for a father. It is equivalent in our language to daddy. So you've got father who is this important figure in the household, and then you've got daddy. Daddy, you can climb up on his lap. Daddy, you can ask him questions. Daddy, he can help you. And so Paul says, we don't only have this heavenly father, we've got a daddy in heaven. He is our father, so we are his children. And by the way, we become the children of God by his work, not by our own. Look what John says here in John 1, beginning in verse 12. But as many as received him, to to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So God is our father, and we are his children. And because we are his children, we have responsibilities. For instance, obedience. God our Father tells us what to do and we are supposed to obey and do. Moral behavior. God the Father says this is how I want you to behave and those are the ways in which we are to behave. God the Father says I've got some service I want you to perform for me. In the household we would call those chores, but God has chores for us to do in His kingdom, in His church. And so when God is your Father and you are His child... He expects obedience, moral behavior, and service. Now, what does a father do? Well, both an earthly father and a heavenly father is a provider when you're in need. He's a protector when you're in danger. He's a punisher when you're in rebellion. Now, I don't know if this stuff goes on anymore uh, in this new generation, but I'll tell you what, when I was a kid and I did something wrong, I always wanted mom to take care of the punishment. And sometimes she did. And she'd always make me go tear a switch off the tree, you know. And I knew the thinner it was, the more it would hurt. So I'd bring back like a rotten log or something, you know. And she'd send me right back. But here's what I feared more than anything. When she would say, I'm not going to do anything, you just wait till your father gets home. This is what a father does. He provides for us when we're in need. He protects us when we're in danger. He punishes us when we're in rebellion. But this is why earthly fathers are so, so important. We earthly fathers give children their first image of a heavenly father. Now, we're nothing like the heavenly father. I mean, we could never uh, reach that pinnacle. But the fact of the matter is children are growing up. They're seeing their daddy. They're seeing their father. And that gives them their first glimpse Of a heavenly father. And this is why God has given spiritual leadership role to men. First of all, in the home. Look at Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in nurture and admonition of the Lord. Not only does he give the spiritual leadership role to men in the home, but also in the church. Notice here the word bishop just means pastor. 1 Timothy 3 says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a pastor... He desires a good work. 
A pastor then must be blameless, a husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Notice it's a man, it's he, it's a husband. And so God has given the spiritual leadership role to men in the home and in the church. But here's the problem. A child whose earthly father has been a poor physical and spiritual example will not be interested in a heavenly father. As you and I go around and we share our faith in Christ, we say, you know, you can have a heavenly father. I have a heavenly father. It's wonderful. But if they've had a bad earthly father and now you tell them they've got a heavenly father and their earthly father was mean, their earthly father was a jerk, they're thinking, wait, I've got a powerful father in heaven who's going to be mean to me and a jerk? It is so important that earthly fathers provide real spiritual leadership in the home. For this is where children get their first glimpse of a heavenly father. And so we see God's position. He is our father. Secondly, I want us to look at God's location. Notice what Jesus says, our father who's in heaven. And so God is in heaven. That's his location, heaven. Now, we know that God is everywhere. This is called his omnipresence. He's everywhere. So it follows if God is everywhere, he would certainly be in heaven. But how can God be in heaven and everywhere at the same time? Now, that's a little head scratcher. So he's everywhere, but he's in heaven. Well, God the Father is in heaven, reigning as sovereign from his heavenly throne, watching over his creation, especially his children providentially controlling every circumstance on earth and in the entire universe. Now, how does God do that? How does God control not only everything going on on earth, but in the universe? I don't know. Because he's God, that's why, and that's how. So God the Father is in heaven. God the Son is in heaven. The Bible says he's seated at the Father's right hand. Ever since he left this earth and ascended into heaven, he is seated at the Father's right hand. And you know what he's doing there? He is preparing a place for his people. Jesus said in John 14 too, I go and prepare a place for you. And since I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And then God the Holy Spirit, well, he's everywhere. Indwelling every believer for the moment of salvation. The moment somebody receives Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, believing that Jesus died for their sins, was buried and rose again from the dead, at that moment, God, through His Spirit, comes to live inside each and every one of us. And so God the Holy Spirit is everywhere, indwelling every believer from the moment of salvation. But I want you to know this. This Holy Spirit will be removed from earth one day. I'm going to show you kind of a cryptic verse. This is 2 Thessalonians 2.7. Those of you that are going to Sunday school, you're going to be studying this verse, at least in three of our classes, you'll be studying this verse, and maybe it'll be a little clearer. Uh, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. This is talking about the Holy Spirit being removed from the earth. When will that be? When Jesus comes back again to rapture his church. When we all rise in the air to meet the Lord... The Holy Spirit is living in us, and so as we go, so does he. The world will be left with no Christian influence. And by the way, that's what they want now. That's what they're clamoring for now. They don't want people praying in public. They certainly don't want children praying in school. 
They don't want the Ten Commandments displayed. Why? Because a child might read them. They don't want to learn about the Christian heritage of our great land, the United States of America. They don't want it. And the day is coming when they won't have it. And their earth will be left in, a, in an immoral, free-for-all state. You think it's bad now. You know, Glenn mentioned something about things seem like they're out of control. You think it's bad now. You wait till every single Christian is out of here. It's really going to get bad. And so God's location, he's in heaven. God the Father is in heaven. God the Son is now in heaven. God the Holy Spirit is everywhere, including in the hearts of every, every genuine believer in Jesus Christ. We believe in one God who exists in three persons. This is called the Trinity. Try like three and unity, so try unity. We believe in one God who exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each one is coexistent, co-eternal, and co-equal with the other. And so we've seen God's position. He's Father, our Father. We've seen God's location. He's in heaven. Thirdly, I want us to look at God's veneration. God's veneration. Notice what Jesus says. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. What does that word hallowed mean? Well, you're probably familiar with October 31st, which is Halloween. And Halloween was three words. It was All Hallows' Eve, originally All Hallows' Eve. And then they just jammed it all together into Halloween. But still, what does that mean? The word hallowed means holy. It means honored. It means respected. And so notice what Jesus says. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy is your name. His name describes his character. He's holy. That means there's no place in the life for a Christian for cursing or saying, oh, my God, or any other way that takes God's name in vain. You're familiar with one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not take the Lord thy God his name in vain. That word vain means to be empty. And so we're not to take God's name and make it empty. We're not to take God's name and make it dirty somehow. He's holy. Hallowed be thy name. Somehow you and I have this challenge. We must keep the tension in our own lives between knowing we have an intimate father-daddy figure and the holy, transcendent, almighty God. So on the one hand, God is that daddy. You can climb up in his lap and you can hug him. But he's also the holy, righteous, transcendent one. And so in our own lives, we need to find that tension. We have to be careful of becoming too friendly. But on the other hand, we need to be careful not to, not to fail to respect him. But know this, God is not the big man upstairs. God is not my buddy G. God is not the good Lord. God is the holy, righteous, almighty God of the universe. That's who he is. What does that mean that he's holy? Well, the word holy means to be separate, to be distinct, to be set apart, to be set aside. And so God is holy. He is separate. He is the creator. He's not created. 
He is untouched by the evil of this world. He's holy. And by the way, God is not just holy. The Bible says he is holy, holy, holy. He is way set apart. He is way set aside. He is way distinct from his creation. He's not only holy, though. He's righteous. That word righteous means he's morally right. He has decided what is right and wrong. He has defined right and wrong for us in his word. He has determined that we are to behave righteously. My friends, God is not to be taken lightly. And his word is not to be ignored. You know, if more people realized who God is, it would be evident in our behavior. If more of us realize who God really is, he's not the good Lord. He's not the big man upstairs. If we realized that he is the holy, transcendent, almighty creator God, it would be evident in our behavior. First of all, within the church. Our church attendance would be different if we realized who he is. How many of us will just blow off a Sunday at church? Ah, I don't feel it today. Ah, I've got too much stuff i got to do. I want to catch up on that movie. I didn't finish that movie last night. I fell asleep. I was, I'm, not, I'm not going to church today. Suppose you had a meeting with your boss. Would you just call your boss up? Not even call him up. Just not show up. Ah, I'll catch him the next time. I'll catch him next time he wants to meet. You wouldn't do that. Why would you do that to Almighty God? If we realized who He is, it would affect our behavior within the church, our attendance, in our worship, our singing, our praising, our praying, even our giving. How many of us, when it's time to sing, and you may not have a great voice, but how many of us, when it's time to sing, just stand up, we don't even sing? We may hum along, but we stand because everybody else is standing. We don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. Or you go ahead and sing. It's like, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, so rich like me. Do you realize to whom you're singing? You're not singing to the song leader. You're not singing to the preacher. You're singing to the almighty God, creator of the universe. And he loves to hear you sing. Even if you can't. And our giving. Do you realize to whom you're giving? You're not giving to the church. You're not giving to the preacher. You're not giving to missionaries. You're giving to Almighty God, the transcendent one, the creator of heaven and earth. See, if we realized what we were doing around here, if we realized who it is that we're worshiping, who it is that we're coming to see, who it is that we're serving it would look a lot different. And what about your service? Or let's just be honest for most of us, your lack of service. Do you realize who you're not serving? When you choose not to serve in God's kingdom, even in his church, do you realize who you're not serving? Almighty God, the creator of the universe. He's the one you're not serving. It's not that you're not serving me or you're not serving our deacons or you're not serving the church. You're not serving the king. And if you are serving and you just give it ho-hum, 
You just do enough to get by. Do you realize who it is you're serving? Almighty Creator God, the Righteous One, the Holy One. If more realized who God is, it would be evident in our behavior both within the church and outside the church. Like our behavior, our righteous behavior. How about the language that we use? Paul writes in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let no corrupt, that word corrupt literally means rotten. Don't let rotten stuff come out of your mouth. Why? Because God said so. And he's the holy, righteous, almighty creator of the universe. How about your sexuality? I know in our modern times, anything goes. But God and his word has not changed. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 is clear. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. Fornication is sexual activity outside of marriage. What about your entertainment choices? What you listen to on the radio, what you watch on TV or Netflix or whatever it is you use. It still works. Would you have Jesus sitting next to you, watching that show with you? If you wouldn't, don't. He's in you. But I think we don't realize who God is. We don't pay any attention to hallowed be thy name. And it's not affecting our behavior in the church. It's not affecting our behavior outside the church because we don't know that he is the holy, righteous, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. And if more realized who he is, it would be evident in our behavior. How about our evangelism outside the church? Jesus' last words to the church are called the Great Commission. This is found in Matthew 28, verse 19, where Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He has given us a command of evangelism to tell the world. Are we telling the world? Probably not like we should. Why? Because we don't realize who has given us this command. The hallowed one. The righteous one. The transcendent one, almighty God, creator of the universe. Jesus' final words are to be our first priority. So today we've seen God's position. He is our father. We've seen God's location. He's in heaven. We've seen God's veneration. He is hallowed. He's holy. Finally, I want to offer you God's invitation And God's invitation is to receive him as your heavenly father. Not as heavenly father like the Mormons, but as your personal heavenly father. And I know your earthly father may have disappointed you. Your heavenly father won't. In fact, your heavenly father can't. I know we don't like to talk about things God can't do, but one thing he can't do is disappoint you. And so regardless of what kind of earthly father you have had, or that you still have, you're invited to receive a heavenly father, a good, a great, a loving, a compassionate, daddy, heavenly father. And I want you to know that you receive the father 
By receiving his son. You receive your heavenly father by receiving his son. Look what Jesus said here in John chapter 13 and verse 20. He says, truly I say unto you, he that receives whoever whoever I send receives me, and he that receives me receives him that sent me. And so if you want to have a heavenly father today, you receive him by receiving his son, Jesus. And how do you receive his son, Jesus? By believing that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. That Jesus was buried for your sins and the third day Jesus rose again from the dead. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, believing he died, was buried and rose again from the dead from, for you, not only do you get him as your Savior, you get a heavenly Father and an indwelling Holy Spirit. So you get God as your heavenly Father, Jesus as your personal Savior, And the Holy Spirit as your indwelling comforter. I don't care where else you go in this whole world. You're never going to get a deal like this. To receive God as your heavenly father. Jesus as your personal savior. And the Holy Spirit as your indwelling comforter. And so as we're learning to pray. Starting with what's known as the Lord's Prayer. Told you we didn't make it very far. There's a lot of stuff in here. We've seen, first of all, God's position. He's not just Father. He's our Father. Personal. Not just Father either. Abba, Daddy. Secondly, we've seen God's location. He's in heaven. God the Father is. God the Son is now in heaven. God the Holy Spirit is everywhere, including in the hearts of believers. Thirdly, we looked at God's veneration. He's holy. He's righteous. He's almighty God, the transcendent one, creator of heaven and earth. And knowing that must affect how we live our lives both in the church and outside the church. And then we conclude with God's invitation. Receive God as your heavenly father. You will receive Jesus as your personal savior. And you will receive the Holy Spirit as your indwelling comforter. Don't pass up this opportunity to receive Christ as Savior, God as Father, and the Holy Spirit as your comforter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus taught us to pray. And as we work our way through this, continue to teach us to pray. And to that end, we pray for those in this room this morning. I don't know what's going on in their lives, but you do. There may be people in here who need to receive Christ as their Savior, never having done that. Give them grace and faith to believe right here, right now. Others need to repent of their sins and live for you. We all need to hold you high as the almighty, holy, righteous creator of the universe. Help us to do better in Jesus' name. Amen.